got up and saddled the donkey. He took with him two servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place, when they reached the place God had arranged the wood on it, he bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and I have not, you have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to his servants and they set off together for Beersheba and Abraham stayed in Beersheba. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Sam. Good morning. Lovely to be with you. I have too have caught the Shepton sunshine, but you probably couldn't tell uh, by my face. It was an amazing week at New Wine. Uh, We had a really great time. I'm going to tell us a few more stories in just a moment. Um, Just to say hi, firstly, uh, my name's Chris, one of the pastors here. Uh, If you're visiting us or new, let me add my welcome to Riches. It's great to see you here this morning. I do hope uh, you've had a good time with us. And if you want to find out more about who we are as a church or what we do, then do come and talk to one of the team in the welcome area or come and find myself or others afterwards. We'd love to hear from you. And let's just pray before we begin. Heavenly Father, this morning um, we want to meet with you. We want to know you better. Lord, we thank you that you're with us in this moment. Father, may we be ever so aware of it. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Take your word, Lord, we pray. Write it on our hearts. Take the story that we've heard, the famous story, and speak afresh into our lives today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Oh man, so, so many stories. Again, it's, it's probably a little bit unfair that I get the microphone now because I can tell even more. And I just want to tell a, a, one story particularly of a, a girl who was on the team with us. Um, it probably won't stop at one story, actually. That's probably not true. But um, this girl was on the team with us. I worked on the arena team in the big venue um, uh, with a bunch of people from St. Paul's. And one of the team who was doing some of the late night programs, sort of uh, after hours uh, events, she um, has a condition in her body called fibromyalgia. Some of you have heard of that. It's quite painful and distressing at times. And, and one of the things, she woke up from camping and had just a neck. She couldn't move her neck. It was really in pain. And, um, but she was one of those amazing people who just keeps going, you know, always with a smile, always you know, delighted seemingly to do everything. And, and I just felt as the last morning uh, we were there and, and, and she caught my attention. I don't know what it was. And, and after a conversation, I just said, I'd love to pray for your neck if that's okay. So we prayed and, and just after three prayers, her neck was totally healed. All the pain had gone. And that evening she came back, um, you know, still just so excited. God had met with her. It was a sign, I think, for her of hope in the midst of, you know, an ongoing condition. Um, I think that was, that was one of the things I, I saw is, is for some people, that, many people that I met and many people that, that I and Nell and many others had the privilege of praying for is seeing God renew and restore hope. Renew and restore uh, passion for his kingdom and passion for him. Um, so many others in the youth venue this week. Many of you have got teenagers who maybe have part, been part of the youth venue or were there. Um, over 130 young people on one night gave their lives to Jesus for the first time. I mean, just amazing. And, and that was replicated across the different venues. Story after story of God changing lives. Um, so thank you so much for those of you who've been praying for us and for the different teams who've been down on site. Uh, we have had just the most incredible week. Um, and um, again, there are some more stories uh, later to come in what I say. Um, what I'd like to do this morning, though, is to begin with watching a film clip, if that's okay. So I've got five minutes, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Anyone, anyone not seen Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade? A few people, well, it's about one of the greatest heroes of all time, um, Indiana Jones. And this is a, this is a well-known clip of, of, of uh, Indiana Jones having to respond to uh, a particularly challenging situation. So hopefully the clip will come on. The healing power of the grail is the only thing that can save your father now. It's time to ask yourself what you believe.
Is all right. The second challenge to the word of God. Only in the footsteps of God will he proceed. from the lion's head. I don't know if you've um, ever wondered about what it means to trust someone else, what it means to put your trust in something. Um, and the clip we've just seen, um, Indiana Jones has got his father's notebook, and in order to save his father's life, he's got to get to the place where the Holy Grail is so that he can bring back the life-giving water uh, to save his father. Um, Ignore the kind of incredible, whatever that means, you know. But the fact is he's got this book, he's got this notebook, which has instructions on it. 
It's all very well having the notebook. You might have great confidence in that notebook. You might have great confidence in what's written in there and the instructions that he's given. But until he acts upon uh, that notebook, until he acts upon those instructions and relies upon them, it's not really trust. Um, To trust someone, we have to have confidence in them. Um, I don't know if you have uh, ever had trouble with your car, but for me, I always like to know that I'm taking my car to a garage that I can trust. I don't know, is anyone else like that? You like to have a garage that you can trust? I I felt I've taken my car to garages in the past, and and what I thought was a simple oil change in a service has become the head gasket is blown, you need five new wheels, and everything else. I don't know if anyone else has had that experience with a garage. Maybe it's just me, and maybe it's just the people of Bristol, but I don't know. I'm not wanting to malign a whole city, but hey, um, they're not here. Well, maybe they won't listen to the podcast now or ever again. Um, but we found a garage in London that we like, that we trust. We have confidence in them. They've got a, you know, accreditation and they've got you know, certain awards and qualifications that they've passed. So that grows our confidence. But it's not enough to think they're good enough. We take our car there and they service it and they do a great job. So we rely upon them. That's what it means to trust So in our story today, when God says, Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only son, the one you love, Isaac, and sacrifice him on a mountain, Abraham now has to think, do I trust God? Do I trust him? Not just with my head, not just in a sense of, yes, well, of course I do, because he's got lots of evidence and reason to trust God from his journey throughout his life. This is towards the end of his life. But do I trust him now with the most precious possession, if you like, maybe not possession, but the most precious thing that I have? For us, to trust God means to have confidence in him, but to rely on him. Not just uh, trusting God with our car, our finance, or our worries. We're encouraged to trust God with everything, just as Abraham is being asked to trust God with everything. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 to 6. Solomon says this, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, and lean not on your own understanding, because our own understanding is limited. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. That's what it means to trust with all of our heart, to give everything over to God. Paul in Romans 12 verse 1 says, um, Therefore, in view of all that God has done for you, give God everything. That's an act of trust, isn't it? If I give God everything, what's God going to do with it? Can God be trusted? The answer from Abraham's story, from the stories of we've heard today, from the cry of our hearts is yes. God can be trusted. God can be trusted with our lives. God can be trusted uh, with everything that we have. But for us, we we offer to God because we trust him. We give to him because we trust him. Um, Trust is another word for faith. Faith and trust are very similar things. It's impossible to worship without trusting God. Uh, Trust requires action. It's not trust if we don't put it into practice. So what it looks like, if we trust God with our lives and we make his priorities our priorities, we we take the book and we put it into practice. If we trust God with our lives, we'll seek him first. If we trust God with our lives, then we'll fully commit ourselves to him. The challenge in the story, or one of many challenges in this story, is, is the question, do we trust him? 
Do we give ourselves fully to him? Do we have confidence in God in the difficult times? Do we trust God that he'll provide? Do we trust God that he's enough? Abraham is a great man of faith. If you know the story of Abraham, he, it begins in Genesis chapter 12 where Abraham is told by God to leave his homeland, everything he's ever known, where his ancestors are, take his family, at that point just him and his wife Sarah, and to go to a place, to the promised land, to go on a journey with God, not knowing where he'll end up, not knowing what he'll encounter on the way. And Abraham goes. That's incredible trust. So we're talking about a man who's, who's trusted in God before with the big decision. But also Abraham who's trusted and believed that God's promise of a son through whom God would bless the nations of the world uh, would happen, even though the circumstances around him were not necessarily conducive to that happening. So Abraham has lived a life trusting God fully, giving up his people, his security, um, putting his trust in what seems like the impossible. But now, maybe after Abraham had thought he'd made it and was ready for retirement, ready just to settle down, he'd got to the promised land, he'd received his son, God calls once more and asks Abraham to face the biggest test of his life. So I want this morning just to look really briefly at three ways in which Abraham put his trust in God and how we can learn from him about what it means to trust God more. Because imagine, you know, we live in a society, don't we, that, where trust is at an all-time low. People don't trust one another. We lock our doors and our windows. We, we make sure, you know, if we, we, when we first moved to London, we wanted to just get rid of some furniture that we didn't want. So we left it on the pavement and it lasted 20 minutes before someone had picked it up and taken it. Now, that's not a bad thing. We were wanting that to happen. But, you know, if we left a bike on the pavement for five minutes without a lock on it, it may well go missing. You know, that's just, we kind of are used to that now. So we're always, you know, lock your bike up. Be really careful with your possessions. You know, we have signs on the tube, pickpockets operate here. So people stand there with their hands on their pockets. You can always tell those who don't come to London very often. They, they're stood there like this, looking around. Trust is, hello, we don't trust politicians. We don't trust, pol- you know, actually, to be honest, um, church leaders don't come out of it very well when it comes to trust. But that's across the board. Imagine a society where we really learn to trust, where we really learn to trust in others. And that has to begin, I think, by learning to trust in God. So how does Abraham trust God? How can we learn to trust God more? Having led the discipleship year for the the, the last year and with uh, uh, 12 uh, guys and girls from uh, different churches, different places, one of the big things is, is actually what's God got for me for the rest of my life? That in itself, the only answer to that is, well, you've got to trust him. Trust that God has a plan. Trust that God is in control. Trust that God knows what's coming. I wonder what it would be for you. I wonder what the question about trust would be for you. What do you need to trust God for today? What are you struggling to trust God with today? Is it your children? Are you struggling to trust that God's in control? Are you struggling to trust that God knows your future? Are you struggling to trust God for your finances? Are you struggling just to trust God is really there and that he loves you? I think if all of us are honest, there are questions we have about trust. So how does Abraham do it? Well, the first thing is that Abraham trusts God through the test. Um, Verse 1 and to 2 of uh, Genesis 22, this is what it says. Um, Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. 
Then God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Testing times in life happen to all of us. None of us are immune from that. Even if we're committed Christians, testing times come in life. Um, The story of of Hannah is one of the stories that means a lot to me, uh, of Hannah who couldn't have children. And and, uh, at the start of the story where we meet this this family of Elkanah and Hannah and Penina, and and they're a wholly devoted family to God. They go and worship. They worship God all the time. They go and do the, they they fulfill their sacrifices. They do what they're supposed to do, but yet they're unable to conceive. Well, Hannah's unable to conceive. You know, and the challenge of that, we think, well, that's, you know, I'm a good Christian, I'm a, good, I'm a good follower of Jesus. I do what I'm supposed to do. But the reality is, is that testing times come to all of us. Life can be tough at times. Now, in this case, it's a specific test that God's behind, but Abraham doesn't know that. Well, he knows that God's called him to do something unimaginable. In the midst of the pressure, in the midst of the hard times, God uh, is with us. In the midst of the testing times, we, we can see, as Abraham saw, that God is faithful. Maybe it's a period of unemployment that's not just been a test financially, but that we've just felt challenged personally. It's, it's, it's kind of got to the very heart of who we are. God is with us in that test. Maybe it's through bereavement or a broken relationship or a bad diagnosis or, or just things that don't, haven't worked out the way we'd hoped or the pressure's on, the timetable, the deadline is there. Can we trust God in the test? Abraham says yes. Do you know, God gives Abraham this test and the very next day he steps out and walks off to obey. Testing in life comes because God cares so much about us. That might seem a bit counterintuitive. Peter tells us that tests and trials that come uh, to us, be it persecution or difficulty or whatever it might be, come that our faith, which is of greater worth than gold, may be proved genuine, may be refined. James tells us that these trials and tests grow perseverance and maturity in us. God doesn't rescue us and keep us safe from the trials and tests in life because to him, our lives matter. He wants us to become and become all that he intended for us to become. The writer of Hebrews tells us that God disciplines his children because he's the perfect father, that he's shaping us and molding us to be the beautiful people of God that we're made to be. And Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that God doesn't allow us to be tested beyond what we can bear. That can sometimes be difficult to believe maybe, but that's true. God won't let us go to the point that we can't cope anymore. Abraham didn't know God was testing him at this point, but he trusts God even though the test seems impossible. He just steps out and keeps going despite of that. So what about us when we hit the times of testing? What do we do? Well, we step out and we persevere. We don't give up, even though we don't know how the test is going to end. We pray. My prayer so often in so much of my life is, Lord, would you just teach me to trust you? Teach me to trust you. I don't know what's going to happen today, let alone this week, this year. But Lord, would you teach me to trust you? I don't know what the outcome is going to be in this situation, but Lord, would you teach me to trust you? And I found that prayer answered time and time and time again. Even if it's Lord today, I don't know how I'm going to get through. Teach me to trust you. As I keep stepping forward, having no idea what's to come, teach me to trust you. 
So firstly, Abraham shows that we can trust God in the test. Secondly, we can trust that God provides. Verse 7, Isaac says to Abraham this incredibly poignant moment in the story. Imagine they're walking at this point, Abraham, it must be in silence, and Abraham is thinking, what on earth have I got to do? God, where are you? What are you doing in this? The test must be at its, its most painful point. And Isaac then says, well, Dad, where's the lamb that's to be sacrificed? I can't even imagine what Abraham was thinking at that point. I can't imagine what I would say. I think at that point I'd be going, okay, enough's enough. I'm going back. I don't know what I would say. What does Abraham say? God himself will provide the lamb. Do you know just a few verses before that, um, when Abraham's talking to the servants, he says, we will go and worship and we will come back. We will go. We will come back. We will go. We will come back. What an incredible trust that Abraham had. He knew that even though he had no idea what was to come, he knew that God would provide. Richard's mentioned the story of uh, what happened at New Wine, and you'll see the story next week. But if we could just put the slide up on the, on the screen, if that's possible, you can just about make out there, I think, what was happening. And Steve was speaking, and just people were flocking forward and just putting money on the stage because God was at work. You know, the story of God's provision in that, in, in that moment was unbelievable. Unbelievable. God's provision through his people. You know, Abraham believed that God would provide. Will God raise from the dead? That's what he, the writer of the Hebrews says that Abraham just thought, well, if it had to kill Isaac, God would raise him from the dead. If, you know, we, we might think, well, what if everything goes wrong? Well, God is the God of the resurrection. God is the God of the resurrection. God is the God who turns everything around. You know, we step into the unknown and expect God to provide. You know, he doesn't wait for the lamb to be given to him before he goes on the journey. He's taking one he thinks is the lamb with him. He doesn't know how this is going to end, but he steps out in obedience anyway, and God provides as he steps out. God provides as he steps out. You know, trusting in God for us means that we step out and expect God to provide as we go, not before. One of the ways I found that to be true is with my money, my financial, financial giving. Nell and I have always sought to, to tie, to give proportionally all of our married life. We just think that's part of what God calls us to do as followers of Jesus. We want to trust God with our money, trust God with our finances. Not wait for the money to come in before we give it, but to give it trusting that God will provide. Maybe that's the challenge for us. Um, Even though the test seems impossible, Abraham trusts that God will provide. God reveals himself as the one who will see to it. That's what the word means, provide. God will see to it. God will provide all we need. Do you know generosity and trust in God grows joy in our lives? That's one of the things I've seen in those who really trust God. They're full of joy. Generosity and trust in God grow joy. And as we give, as we trust God, as we step out in him, we'll see God's kingdom come in and through us. And finally, we can trust that God is enough. Um, One of the things about Isaac that some have said, and I think it's true, is is that Isaac had become to Abraham the sole object of his affection. That he had become really who God should have been in his life. God said to him, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. That's a big description. I think for Abraham that Isaac had become the center of his world. And God needs to be the sole, complete, supreme one in his life. 
Because if we get anything else in the way, if it's God plus something, or even something plus God, actually that something will overwhelm us. If we make uh, our career advancement the be-all and end-all of our life, that's what we live for, then it will overwhelm us. The Bible talks about idols, about things that can capture our attention. And they're things that we sacrifice to. The things that we we will make any sacrifice to, we'll compromise for, we'll do anything for until we find ourselves in such a mess. And all of us are able to do that at times, I think. I want to tell you a personal story. You know, for me, and I've mentioned it really a little bit already, for me, I think an idol that's been in my life uh, maybe early on was, was that it was God plus children. I wanted to be a dad. And I've not been able to be a dad yet. That's not a story that's finished for me. I'm still on the journey. I'm still walking into the mountains, if you like, on that one. Both of us are. But for me, it was always God plus. God plus something else. And if God had answered my prayers early on, if God had given us that, I wonder whether that would have become something plus God. Maybe God would fit in at some point. Now, I'm not saying that I couldn't be a parent. I think I'd be a great parent. <laughs> you know, I think that that's something I want to be, and I'm, I'm passionate about that, and we're, we're stepping out in faith on that. But I tell you what, um, it can't be an idol in my life. It's always got to be God first. Because if I want to be a good parent, I've got to put God first. If I want to be a good husband, I've got to put God above now. If I want to be a good, a good Christian leader, if I want to be a good pastor, it's got to be God before any success in my ministry, any growth in my church. It's got to be God first. It has to be. It's got to be God before any advancement in a career. It's got to be God before anything else. Because if anything else gets in the way, it will consume us. That's been my experience. And it's been painful. And it's been testing. But I've known God's faithfulness in the test. I've known that God provides. I've known that God is enough if we put him first. Abraham didn't just become one of the figures of faith. In the, he became the hero of faith. Not just for Christians, for Jews, for Muslims. They look back, half the world's population look back and say, Abraham is a man of faith. Because he trusted God in the test. He knew that God would provide. And he absolutely believed that God was enough. This story challenges the socks off me. Do I believe that? Do I really put my trust in God? It's incremental. It's always the thing that's in front of us. It's always the challenge that we're facing. That's what we have to trust God with. Sometimes being too generic and too wide, we find that, well, that's just impossible. But just the thing that's in front of us. Do you trust God for your Monday morning? Do you trust God for what's staring at you in the face? Do you trust God with your children? Do you trust God with what's happening in your life? That's what we're called to do. Can I invite us to stand and let's pray together? Why don't we just close our eyes? We're going to ask God to come by His by His Spirit, and and I think some of us, God wants to say, "Well done, good and faithful servant." Some of us are in the test. We're in the midst of a challenge, and we need to hear those words: "You're stepping on, you're persevering, you're keeping going." Well done. Holy Spirit, come. We welcome your presence. Lord, in the prayer that I pray so often, Father, would you teach us to trust you? Teach us to trust you with our money. Teach us to trust you with tomorrow. Teach us to trust you 
with our relationships. Teach us to trust you. Teach us to trust you, Lord. Jesus.